When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley, and with me, as always, he is the Thelma to my Louise. We just drove off the Ohio State football cliff on Saturday. He is the one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, how we doing? Um, do you still have that bad maize and blue taste in your mouth, or have you moved on? The inevitability of the weekend and us hitting the ground at the bottom of that canyon really sink in. You know, obviously everybody knows we're Bengals fans. It didn't really sink in until about 4.30 on Sunday when both teams that I root for completely dropped the ball on the weekend, and it kind of sank in that both of my teams are now done, barring miracles for both of them. So I've hit the ground. The car's it's pretty much done smoldering. I think uh, the vultures have picked what they're going to pick off my body, and I'm ready to go. We are uh, reimagined and ready to start a f- start anew. So you sort of read my mind a little bit. My partner and I are slowly attempting to pick up the broken pieces of our sports watching lives, but it's definitely not easy. You know, Ohio State football is in shambles, depending on who you ask. The Bengals are toast. The Cincinnati Reds have been toast since the turn of the century. So it's tough on these streets. Like those are. Chuck and I share all of those teams in common, but we're going to flip the script a little bit today. We'll still talk, we will still talk plenty of Buckeye football, but we also want to praise a few other Ohio State teams and talk about our second Scarlet and Gray love, which is basketball. You know, I really enjoy watching the OSU women play from time to time. But I am far more knowledgeable about Chris Holtman's squad. And I think the same goes for Chuck. So we're going to talk more about the men's side of things, but not before shouting out the women. You know, Kevin McGuff's team is 5-1. They don't have a signature win yet, but they are ranked number 16. And they get both Tennessee and UCLA before Christmas. So... Definitely some big games coming up for the women, and I'm sure that we will talk about that team throughout the season. As for the men, the men's team is currently 5-1, and one, and this past Saturday, uh, they won the Emerald Coast Classic held in Destin, Florida. Definitely more of a vacation destination than a basketball mecca. Uh, they didn't play in Madison Square Garden, but I gotta say, the Crowds were pretty good in Destin. Seemed like a great atmosphere. The Buckeyes took down Western Michigan before upsetting number 17, Alabama. 
And that was then supposed to set up a game against Oregon. However, the Ducks were also upset by Santa Clara, a.k.a. the Fighting Steve Nashes. So OSU faced Nash's alma mater for the tourney title, and they they decimated the Broncos, which is Santa Clara's actual mascot. So, Chuck, let's start there. A lot of stuff, but when was the last time Ohio State faced two teams in a matter of days, both known as the Broncos? Take all the time you need. It's never happened before, Pat. I think that's right. I honestly didn't do the research beyond just I don't I, I definitely don't remember this and that's too much of a coincidence. Not a lot of Broncos in college level. No, and you're you're not going to play two of them in a couple of days, but in all seriousness, this was a really nice um promising mini tournament run, I think, for Holtman's guys. Knocking off Alabama is great for the resume. Could be something that gives the Buckeyes an edge come like Selection Sunday, provided they get to at least 18, 19, 20 wins, right? But more important than that, I think the win over Bama was a confidence booster or a confidence giver even because, like, yeah, OSU was 4-1 and one going into that game, but they hadn't been overly impressive. And shots started to fall against Merrimack and Western Michigan, but it's like, eh. Then the Bama game seemed to, and let me know if I'm wrong here, right or wrong, the Bama game seemed to prove that this team's shooting might actually be for real. Would you agree, Chuck, or am I reading too much into a couple of games? Well, considering we read too much into the previous couple of games where they shot like hot garbage, I you know we what did. we got to give them credit we when, did they, that. when they do. Yeah, I mean, kudos to them. What did we talk about? We talked about how they couldn't shoot to rock. We talked about how they couldn't rebound the ball. We talked about how they weren't distributing it, and both all three of those things uh, they distributed better against Santa Clara than Alabama. But all three of those things, they were infinitely better than what they were. So, you know, we, we got to give them credit. I mean, they shot outshot both opponents. They out rebounded both opponents. They played, they made winning basketball plays, which is something we talked about. And I know I talked about uh, when you were hiding from me, they've got to make some winning basketball plays, not just be the most skilled guys on the court. And they, they, they've started to do that. And man, when you build that momentum, especially in the college game, once you build that momentum a little bit, sometimes you get on a roll and then all of a sudden you start playing as a whole. The the sum is bigger than the the parts and that gets crazy on the college level. And I, I hopefully that's what, what starts to happen with these boys. For sure. On an individual level, you know, I look at it, Roddy Gale is shooting the three ball well on just just a few attempts per game. I think that's what you want from him. The threat, but not the reliance. He's a slasher. He can get to the bucket. He's got a good in-between game. But if he's, you know, if he's going to go two for four, two for five in a game, and that's all he's taken, I'm great with that. Feel super comfortable. Bruce Bruce Thornton, same thing. Like I think he's a more capable shooter, but you want Bruce Thornton running the team and then getting you some of those clutch buckets. When it's needed, that's what he's great at. All of the above. And then Dale Bonner, 
look, I was not buying in. <laughs> you look at what he had done earlier in his career. He shot under 30% from three at Baylor, never made more than 16 in a season. He's nine for 17 this season. Drained at least two deep balls in each of the Buckeyes' three Emerald Classic games. Now, he might fall off in a major way, but at least we've seen proof of concept. So if he goes through a cold streak or he has a rough month, whatever, we know what he's capable of when he's playing well, and that's hitting two three threes per game. And then Jamison Battle looked like, at least against Santa Clara, he looked like 2021 Jamison Battle, just a little bit. Which, you know, 16, 17, 18 points a game, that would be huge for this Ohio State team because I, I think he and Roddy Gale, even Bruce Thornton, I don't think any of them are 20-point-per-game guys. But if they're all 15 or something like that in that neighborhood, I think it's going to go a long way for Ohio State as a whole. So, Chuck, I don't know. What are your general thoughts on the team now that it's been a handful of games? Do you think the shooting, the scoring, the sharing, do you think that's all sustainable? And what else, if anything, have I missed? What stood out? Before I go into that, I do want to let the social team know that they're allowed to start posting uh, Felix Akpara body image uh, photos again. Uh, 10 rebounds against Alabama, 7 rebounds against uh, Santa Clara, 3 blocks. Like he, he's, he's 8 to 10 rebounds and 3 to 4 blocks over these like last 4 games. So let, let's start posting them. He earned it. I said before we didn't want to see him because he was grabbing 2 rebounds a game, but he earned it. I want to see him. I think part of what you're going to see with these guys is a little bit of a regression to the mean. I don't think the shooting is going to be this good. Everything else can stay there, though. I don't. I don't think you have to worry about, you know, passing the ball could be infectious, and that could get them continual good shots. But I think for us to consider them uh, shooting fifty percent from Destin as a whole, the two games, I think that's probably not realistic to shoot fifty percent from three forever. But if they can keep it at 37 to 40, they're going to win a lot of games. I agree with that. One thing that I've, look, I'm just not the right person to ask about this because it was never my forte. I am not what is known. That is a fact. No, there's an aspect of the game. Say what you want about my overall skills. I mean, I'll drop 10 on you right now. But I was never known as what experts call a staunch defender, okay? Um, I wasn't always what experts call a willing defender. So it's not my area of expertise, but I mean, Chuck, you played forever. You played longer than me. You played at a little bit higher level than I did. What do you think of about the Ohio State's defense through a handful of games? Because that's something that Chris Holtman wanted to see improve. He wanted to see that effort night in, night out, getting some stops. And I know that Alabama puts up 150 points a game or whatever. So give me your impressions of the Ohio State basketball defense for men's side. It's a 
the, the it's an improvement that I didn't think you could see in a two or three game span. Over a basketball season, you can see some improvement and stuff like this. And for them, though, for them to hold Alabama to 46% shooting and 30% from three, if you're holding teams to 30% from three, you're going to win a lot of basketball games unless you also shoot 30%. The three-point line is so important right now that if you can outscore teams by 9, 12, 15 points on the three-point line, that's – that is so valuable. So for that to happen, and it, you could kind of see, and maybe it's because the shots started falling. You know, when somebody sees a shot fall and sees gets a little more comfortable on the offensive end, sometimes that perks you up a little bit, and sometimes that 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 helps keep your energy level up on the defensive end. And you can see it with these guys. There's just a little bit more edge. They're not they're not dicks or anything, but they're they're just a their shoulders are a little bit pushback they're ready to defend a little more now and it could be because they're shooting a little better so hopefully they keep shooting well enough to keep their defensive confidence up because it's just a rotating cycle when your defensive confidence is up all of a sudden you can get out a little bit all of a sudden you get easy buckets you might get a steal and get a layup so keeping that energy will be key and it'll be interesting to see if they can do it yeah i think Evan Mahaffey, Mahaffey is important because he's just one of those guys, like he's multi-positional, he wants to run around, use his long arms and his length, and, you know, block shots, get in passing lanes, grab rebounds. So I like what he's brought to the table, even if he's not scoring, um, even if I don't really want him handling the ball very often. But I I think it's going to be, or it's going to come down to a combination of like him, Akpara, Maybe Zed Key because like they don't have a ton of size and Akbar is gonna have to stay on the court. But you know, I think their defensive effort and how well they play it's gonna go a long way. And then can Roddy Gale be the consistent score that we saw at the end of last year in the beginning of this season, as opposed to sort of some of the struggles that we saw early last year. Look, he was a freshman. Kind of expected, and he's really shown a lot of growth and maturation and things like that. So, if he can continue to score, and they get what's expected from Jamison Battle and Bruce Thornton, and they play good defense, I do think that this can be a twenty-ish win team. It's still super early. We'll see, but um, you know, that's sort of the Ohio State centric part of thing, non-football, right? And We've entered a, a time of the year where Ohio State football, it's not done. It's not over. But for all intents and purposes, the, the title chase is over. Unless absolute chaos happens, Ohio State is likely going to be left on the outside looking in. At the same time, it's way too early, in my opinion, to start talking about position battles and depth chart and this that and the other so we're in sort of a weird time right now chuck and i are sort of storyboarding the next couple of months of what this pod is going to be at some point we're going to drop back down to one episode per week but we'll do what we can in the meantime as long as the content is there as long as the talking points are there so this week is going to be what I call a potpourri week. Chuck thought that I was talking about 
the like the fake stuff in the basket that makes the house smell good and whatever. I'm sort of a nerd at heart, so what I really meant was the Jeopardy category. That is just random questions. There is no theme or anything like that. It's called potpourri. And so that's what Chuck and I wanted to get into a little bit this week. It'll still be football-centric, but it's just sort of here and there all over the place. So he and I are going to take a break and collect our thoughts a little bit more, jot down a couple more questions, and we'll be right back after this. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley, and we were shit out of talking points after that Ohio State-Michigan game. Um, Certainly nothing that we were looking forward to talking about, but we still went, we had football on the brain, and it's still very much sort of out there in the forefront, so... We're going to go, I wouldn't say rapid fire here, but I've got some questions listed. And then I want to get into some Ryan Day talk because, you know, his name has been on the wanted posters since Saturday afternoon. But before we get to Ohio State, I want to stay in the Big Ten. I want to look at a couple other teams here. Chuck, we've got the Big Ten championship game this Saturday night. The... Over-unders like 34. I think I saw that Iowa's over, first half over-under is half a point. Their first half over-under is half a freaking point. We know they don't score a lot. I've never, seen, any, <laughs> I've never seen anything like that. Well, you laugh. You say, give me the under. Realistically, though, does Iowa stand a chance on Saturday against Michigan? No. They don't stand a chance because they can't score. Like there's just there's no scenario where they score more than ten points. I think for them to get to ten, they're gonna have to get a turnover in plus territory. And I'm talking like sub twenty in order for them to put ten points up. That's the only way they score a touchdown against Michigan. I could see this being, and I don't think Michigan's gonna put fifty up. Harbaugh doesn't care. He's gonna he's gonna get to 21, 24, 28 and coast. This is gonna be a nice, easy 24 to 3 and move it on. Unfortunately, I think I'm with you because I, I think the Ferentz family is content to just collect a paycheck and eat shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo's. I, I don't think there's any real interest. Of course, there's interest, but they're not going to change their game plan. They're not going to pull out the trick plays. They're not going to risk it all. Because, I mean, what what does Kurt care? He's essentially got a lifetime contract for putting in the bare minimum. He's got arguably the best defensive coordinator in the country to run his defense. He knows that it's going to be so good week in and week out that you know he can bring in his idiot son to call plays and they'll stumble into nine wins, ten wins, whatever it is during the regular season. He's fallen off. I don't care what anyone says. I know the game has changed and he has some principles, but he's fallen off. I mean, there's just no justification for not putting in any sort of effort on the offensive side of the ball. So I'm with you. 
that being said, uh, I was looking at a couple apps this afternoon and I got up to like plus 10,000 odds on the under Iowa money line. I was defense to score. J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum under their yardage totals. It's a long shot, but you know, I'm gonna put the. I've got a couple a couple dollars laying around. I'm sure I can put two, three, five, ten dollars on it. Maybe walk away with a thousand. So I'm gonna be interested in that game, but for other reasons. I, I don't care about the outcome because I don't think we're gonna see. Uh, everyone knows what we are going to see. Don't don't we have to care a little bit about the outcome if you're looking for a backdoor way into the playoff, though? Because Michigan has got to win. I, I think, well, yes. Because does of it Michigan... matter? Does it matter? I mean, are they in regardless 12-1? and one? I, don't I, think, not get that. I don't think they're in regardless because there's just so many other things going on. I, I think that Michigan needs to win to boost Ohio State's case, resume, whatever, because that loss to them would look that much better. But um, I'm not going to say I'm rooting for Michigan because I never will. I'm rooting for a certain outcome to give Ohio State a shot. But, uh, you know, honestly, I don't I don't think Ohio State deserves that shot. I don't know I want it. Not this year. I don't want a bunch of built-in excuses um, to where it makes the rest of the season okay. Do you agree with that part of things? Uh, yeah, there's there's something to that. because Or do you always year, want a shot, no matter what? Here's the thing. I think those built-in excuses only happen if they beat Georgia this year. Because they would be the fool, right? And Georgia's going to be the one. If they were to beat Georgia, well, then they, they're allowed to have those excuses. Like last year, they get they were able to have him because they almost beat him. And they, here, here came Ryan Day. He he was uh, the swashbuckling offensive play caller. Well, that didn't continue. So we we don't want that again. But if they could get in and beat Georgia, great. Because then you're probably going to get Michigan in a in a a rematch. My thought is they probably get run by Georgia. Unfortunately, I, I just they're not anywhere near the team they were last year and Georgia's pretty damn close and so yeah I don't know that I want to see 40 to 15. Well I think Ohio State if that were to happen Ohio State doesn't have CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud put on a master class last year and Ryan Day was on top of his game. Even if Ryan Day changes you know his mentality from whatever the hell it was that we saw against Michigan to Georgia Ryan day. I'm sorry. He doesn't have CJ Stroud. And I don't want, I don't want that to be like a personal attack on Kyle McCord. CJ Stroud wasn't Georgia CJ Stroud two years ago. You know what I mean? But it's just completely different. This current Ohio state team I'm with you. I think they get run out of the building, unfortunately by Georgia kind of shifting gears a little bit to Ohio State, a few days removed. It's been half a week now. How bad does this loss against Michigan still hurt? Or like what hurts the most for you? 
Nothing hurts. I think the thing that's frustrating about it is some of how things were handled just don't vibe with this is the most important game on your schedule. You need to act accordingly. The game plan was not that. The in-game adjustments were not that. The in-game decision-making was not that. And I think some of the attitude going into it was not that. Some of the players, some of the... I, I don't think Ryan Day, I think he feels it internally. But for whatever reason, his decisions didn't mirror the anxiety he has to be feeling in his chest prior to this game and even more so now. So that part of it is really puzzling. And it's not... Uh, It's disappointing because if this, if the last two years did not change the attitude and the thought process, what is going to change it? Like how many of them will it take? Because this is not, it's, it's not an acceptable level. Um, People talk about it's one game. He beats everybody else. But the fact of the matter is, is this, you are brought to this university to coach football and paid, uh, upwards of eight figures to beat Michigan, win Big Ten titles, and compete for national championships. And you're not doing the first two, and you haven't really you, – you made one run to a championship game in five years. So to me, that part of it is you're not meeting expectations and nothing's changing even though you say it is. I see where you're coming from, and I, I agree. I think that – Maybe this is where I disagree, but you didn't really talk about this. I I think that this game did mean, you know, it did mean the world to Ryan Day. I I think it did mean the world to a Marvin Harrison Jr. and guys like that. But the way that it's the way that it's expressed is not loud it's not boisterous it's not exuding confidence right like you've got some quiet guys that are part of this team part of this roster um sort of not not so much the coaching staff but i i think it was so important to them or it has been so important to them maybe i'm wrong here that they just get tight rather than i've got to do everything in my power to win it's more like I've got to do everything in my power not to lose. And then I think emotionally, like I said, I think Ohio State honestly has had a leadership problem. Um, not in the sense that there aren't guys who are leaders, but look, like pardon my French and I, maybe we'll we'll bleep this. Who Who's the motherfucker on this team? Like, who is the guy that is getting in people's faces, screaming, getting on their case, being a leader? Like, we see the dancing that I know people have hated pregame, but we've also heard of these guys who are good leaders. They give these speeches, this, that, and the other. I don't see a lot of that on Saturdays. I just don't. And maybe it's because we're not privy to what goes on on the sideline, but... Like, I think of JT Barrett when he was a quarterback. He wasn't the most talented. He wasn't the best passer, this, that, and the other. He had a ton of talent around him. 
But, like, you just saw the way that he carried himself on Saturday and the way that he was on the sideline. Like, he was emotional. He was getting on guys. Like, he was trying to fire them up. And I just don't see a lot of that from this roster. And I didn't really see a lot of it in the past couple of years. You know, C.J. Stroud, he, he speaks and he acts at certain times like a great leader. And he carries himself very well. And you hear him do press conferences even now like he's well spoken he's super intelligent he says the right things but even he he's not like this loud rah rah guy and I think Ohio State has been missing that for a couple of years yeah I don't disagree I think you could argue since uh Justin Fields left that that they felt that because there was kind of a shift there with those guys CJ Stroud was never that guy um and but he had he had some guys that could could kind of fill those those voids. You look at the the leaders of this team. Harrison's a quiet guy. Kyle McCord, he just he, like he looks like he smelled a stinky fart every second of every game. Like he's never never any change in his demeanor, which is great if you want to be like a stone cold killer. But that's not what he is. His demeanor is not stone cold killer. His demeanor is oh shit, I'm about to pee myself. The same could be said for the coaching staff. And I think that's part of like the evaluation. If you look at this coaching staff, Ryan Day's not a killer. He's not a motivator. He's not urban. Well, I think he's a motivator, but I, I totally agree with the for, the former. He is a he is a football coach. He coaches technique and plays. He does not motivate. So you look at who are the other options. You go to your coordinators. Your offensive coordinator is the cool guy. He's not getting in anybody's ass. I have not seen him get in one ass, period. You look at Jim Knowles. He also doesn't get in any asses. So then you need somebody behind them to do it. Who's it going to be? Tony Alford doesn't speak. We got to clarify getting in asses, though. I think that just means getting on someone's case, but I don't want to stop your role. So, I, yes, for the for the there's listeners, never a coach, there's never a coach chewing on somebody's ear for how they performed. And guess what? There were plenty of opportunities this year. Tony Alford doesn't talk. Larry Johnson's too old. Who the hell's Larry Johnson going to yell at? Like, come on. You never see Perry Eliano and Tim Walton. You never see Corey Dennis on the sideline. Those guys are nowhere to be found. So who is that guy on the coaching staff that is also pushing these guys? There is none. It is a it's a completely different mindset and culture from what was previously for the seven years that Urban was there, and even with uh, Jim Tressel. There was a respect demanded and a level of execution demanded that just doesn't happen now. It's just not there. You're never going to tell me – I'm never going to sit here and say Ryan Day doesn't know football. But right now, Ryan Day does not know how to manage a college football team to the level that Ohio State fans expect him to. And that's something that he's either need to figure out really damn quick or he's going to end up probably losing this job at some point because the expectations that he needs to set throughout the year, he's not setting. And then when we get to the games that actually matter, they're not executing at, at the level they need to, because there haven't been expectations to those previously. And maybe that's part of the, he needs to give up the play calling duties 
argument, right? Is he needs to be more of a CEO, hold more people accountable, but he's spread so thin that he's not able to do all of those things all the time. Hey, can you imagine Kyle McCord playing for Urban Meyer and saying in an interview, this is just another game? Urban would have benched him. He wouldn't have, he would not have cared who was the back. He would not have played him. There's there's no scenario that your starting quarterback can feel that way about the Ohio State Michigan game. There's no there's just no scenario. That, that and that is not that is that is something that is he's been here for three years. So for him to feel that way, even if he's just trying to say it to make himself feel better, you have to have trained that young man to be able to handle that scenario a different way to be able to lean into the pressure. And if he can't, then ultimately he can't be the quarterback at this school. But then it goes back again. That That's just full circle back to the guy that built the program didn't have another option. So he was stuck with this guy at quarterback who wasn't the answer potentially because he couldn't embrace the situation. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to crucify Kyle McCord for even what he said because it was more of like, I have to treat it as such internally for, you know, my performance or whatever. But that goes back to my point, though, is like that's being tight. That's not going and being the killer. So I I guess we're sort of in agreement there. The thing that I am still upset about or the reason that I am devastated, it's not because this year's national title was Ohio State's to lose. It's not. It wasn't. Um, because the quarterback play and the offensive line play wasn't good enough. What really bums me out is the fact that OSU could have banished the team up north into the shadow realm. Just erased or put a stain on everything. Everything. Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines have done in the past three years. They could have invalidated it, right? Because... There was the sign-stealing scandal. That's the only... That was the first time that uh, Harbaugh and Michigan, that they had beaten Ohio State together, was, you know, presumably when they're stealing signs and using that to some sort of advantage. Ohio State could have won this game, or if they had won this game, they could have just, like I said, invalidated it all. Like They only won because they cheated. They're still the the same Jim Harbaugh-led team that started 0-5. Um, that couldn't beat ranked teams, this, that, and the other. But now, Michigan gets to walk around like John Hamm or John Holmes, if you know what I mean. I know you want to say Milton Berle, but we've gone to that well too many times, so I'll use the Johns. They are going to feel untouchable. And regardless of whether the Wolverines get hammered for the sign stealing, they are going to be able to say, yeah, we got caught trying to gain an advantage. But it was only because we're just so damn competitive. We didn't need it to stuff Ryan Day in a locker. So they get to say that now. Regardless of like penalties that eventually come down, they can say, yeah, you know what? Point to 2023. When Ohio State's defense had gotten better and this guy that was our analyst and our linebacker coach, they were nowhere to be found. We still beat him. Whatever. If six points doesn't matter. A dub's a dub, and so they're going to have those bragging rights. And now it's, oh, maybe it made a difference, maybe it didn't. 
We'll never know. Quick off the subject tangent. Did you know John Holmes lived in the Columbus area for a few years when he was a child? I did not. (laughs) (laughs) He did. He lived in Pataskalo, Ohio for uh, like three or four years. I had an old man tell me that years ago uh, when he saw I was working in retail and name tag had Holmes on it. So obviously he thought that was my Uncle John. I said, no, we're not related by blood, just by never mind. Well, before you, before you say anything, you shouldn't. <laughs> if, you, if you don't know anything about Milton Berle, John Hamm, and John Holmes, just do a little Google search. Probably not on your work computer. Um, maybe not with the <laughs> kids are around, but that's all I'm saying. All right? <laughs> Let's change the subject. Well, I don't want to completely. What did you even ask me? I don't even remember. Well, I don't want to completely change the subject, but I have a different question. And maybe I know your answer. I'm not sure. What do you think of or about the the treatment of Ryan Day, both in the media and by the fans? I think that's a simple question. I'll just turn it back to you. Ryan Day's a big boy. He has to deal with all of it. I don't agree with the athletes getting tore up and their families and that and, and keep Ryan Day's family out of your mouth. But if you want to say he's the worst football coach and deserves to be fired on social media 10 times a day, that's your right. And frankly, that's what he signed up for. Uh, it's that's just, that's the reality of the job. Now, uh, those that, uh, get vulgar with it or, uh, take a turn that's not appropriate, uh, is a different story. But if all you're doing is voicing your displeasure with this, uh, public employee, that all of our tax dollars technically are paying because uh, he is an employee of the state of Ohio. So if you live in this state, uh, a little bit of your taxes go to pay Ryan Day. Uh, The least he can do is uh, have to deal with a little bit of scrutiny on social media and on call-in shows and wherever else he may see that. So that part of it's fair game. Leave his family alone. Uh, You could say the players didn't play well, but leave their families alone too. And, just be mad internally. Mo money, mo problems, right? Like right. His- you, you, you make ten million. You you got to deal with it, man. Perks of the or, <laughs> there there are perks to every job. There are downfalls to every job. One of the downfalls of this one is is if you screw up one damn time, you're going to hear about it. A big contract gets you a lot of things, but the ones that come to mind for me are like a big house, a nice car, and lots of bullshit. Like that's just you're right. That's what he signed up for. Um, I, the one thing that I have an issue with is like directly calling for somebody's job. But if you go about it, you back it up and you say it a certain way, like I, I don't know that I could say it like in, in a forum like this because, um, shit, I've lost my job. <laughs> like it's not fun. I wouldn't wish it on people. You know what I mean? Granted, I wasn't being paid eight, nine, ten million dollars, but uh, you know, I, I was still crying myself to sleep or something like that. I wasn't really doing that, but it sucks. So I wouldn't be like, hey, they need to fire this guy. But like everything else is sort of fair game. I, I really think that it is. You can comp him to other coaches you can say he's failed you can um you know just say he's not as good as this guy or that guy you can call him tight you can call him a coward you can say he's you know he coaches scared all of that stuff because you're right 
certain things come with the territory. You've got one of the like five jobs that any college football coach in the entire universe would want. Like you've got one of the top five jobs. So you've got to deal with the the repercussions of not meeting a standard, however real or like tangible that standard is. That's fair. And I, I think you could even take it a step farther and say, hey, th- this isn't you're not meeting expectations. You, if, if the expectations are here, here or here, it, it's OK to say that this guy's not meeting them. He's Unless, laid out I, expectations, I'll, too. Like you can say, hey, these are expectations put forth by you. Right. And he's not meeting them. like there's nobody anywhere that can say there's people that can say, hey, he's 56 and seven. He deserves uh, to continue with the job. Great. What you cannot say is the last three seasons, Ryan Day has met expectations of the Ohio State University head football coach because he has not done the three things that really matter at this university. The first two, uh, you need to do on a pretty regular basis. The third one, obviously, is not something that happens every year, but you should be able to beat Michigan on a semi-regular basis. you got to be able to win some Big Ten titles, and you got to win the occasional national championship. And until he does something like that – in a more recent manner than uh, 2019, he is going to have problems with people um, questioning whether he is fit for this job. I'm glad you threw the disclaimer in there because, look, national title or bust, that is, that can be the expectation. It's not a realistic one, but you do have to contain – have to struggle like whatever the expectation is Michigan and big 10 title at the very least, or get one of them. Two's great. Like to do those things semi-consistently, those boxes have to be checked. So when I think about the sort of the vitriol though, being thrown at him, I, that's where it's like, man, that's, it's pretty intense because I, I wanted to compare his, coaching career early coaching career even though it's not really and I just I think our lunatic fringe is a little more aggressive a little more crazy than maybe some of the rest because I was looking at this so Kirby Smart lost his first four games against Alabama hasn't played them since January 2022 so he's one in four still to this day I think also, 2-2 two and two against LSU. That's the same record he had in his first four bowl games. 2-2. Two and two. So, okay. Um, Lincoln Riley. At least two losses in every single season since 2017. He's 1-4 in bowl games. Dabo, clown show. <laughs> He's just a clown show. Jim Harbaugh, also a clown show, but not the point. He started 0-5 against Ohio State. Also struggled to beat Michigan State early on. He is still under 500 against top 25 teams. And he hasn't won a bowl game since January 1st, 2016. He has lost his last six. And I'm not as familiar with those fan bases as I am with ours, obviously. But like... All of those guys were able to weather the storm, and I don't know how much longer, without 
a couple of big wins, I don't know how much longer Ryan Day will be able to or want to weather the storm. And so that's where I'm like, man, is it really this fair? Is this fair when you look at some of the other guys? It is fair, and here's why. None of those teams and coaches have a rivalry. This is the game. It's called the game for a reason. Well, and this is a did. rivalry. Well, but hold on, hear me out. With Kirby, he took over a program that was not on Ohio State's level. Lincoln Riley took over for a coach, did not do as well as he was thinking. Make no mistake about it. The reason he left, besides the boatload of money, was that Oklahoma, he was starting to feel heat because he wasn't doing what he needed. So Harbaugh was on the Harbaugh gets fired if he doesn't bang out of the 2020 game. Like, make no mistake, if he loses to Ohio State in 2020, he is going to get fired. He had to give back half his salary for a year because they were so close to firing him. So I don't think it's a unreasonable expectation for that reason. The other reason is you knew what you were signing up for, right? It's not our fault you accepted the job. You you could say no. You didn't have to sign up. You don't have to keep cashing those checks. Here's the thing. If it's too much, the Bears are going to need a head coach. Uh, the Chargers are probably going to need a coach. The, the Panthers definitely need one. The Commanders might. Like, there's going to be opportunities. You should have went to Texas A&M. They would have taken you. So that part of it, I don't really – I have zero sympathy because he was here. He dealt with the person he, – he worked for the person who embraced it more than anybody else in my lifetime. And so you knew the expectations. You knew the history. You knew you were going to have to continue that or you were going to feel the pain. You did not continue that. Flat out. You are not meeting the expectations that Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle laid out. You're barely meeting the expectations that John Cooper laid out. Guess what? The program was in a lot better shape when you got it than when Cooper got it. And he still got his ass fired. So, like, it, it, this is this is what it is. When you're getting paid that kind of money and the expect, like, we didn't all of a sudden surprise him with, hey, surprise, the fan base, fan base is really, really passionate. A lot of them are kind of delusional. And uh, this is new, and you didn't know this when you took the job. You knew it when you took the job. So, yeah. Either you meet the expectations or you don't, but if you don't, you got to know what's coming. And I can't really disagree with any of that. The reason that I had these questions in mind, specifically like the last couple, is because I knew that you know you could make a po- you could make a case on either side, and you could also bat down the obvious, the opposite case, right? So like I, I just think these are good talking points. This was a conversation, never really intended to be an argument. Not that we're you know going at it or anything, but I think. Like, it's just so interesting, and you can come at it from a, a million different angles. Um, the only, the one thing that I'll say, because then I want to flip the script a little bit, otherwise we're going to go, you know, 10 hours here. I, I never want Ohio State, the university, the athletic department, to retain someone out of fear. Ryan Day was, you know, pretty much he was an unknown when he got the job. I think that he has upheld much of the standard. 
let's be honest, prior to Ohio State, he was a position coach that did kind of okay in a couple of stops, but also got fired at a couple of stops. My whole thing is, and it's not my whole thing. Like I said, you should never keep someone out of fear of the unknown, Um, especially when you are the Ohio State University and you can theoretically go and get anyone you want. Um, In Ryan Day's defense, I think he's a great face of the program. Uh, I think what he does for... um, you know, mental health is great. I think that the way that he interacts with his players, like I think he's really there for them. And I do think that he is a very, very intelligent football mind. And he's upheld much of the standard. Like, this is not my case for. This is not my total defense of. I would just say, like 56 and 7, it means something. It's got to mean something. I know that you can throw one and three right back at me, two and seven, whatever it is. You can say he's 0 for 9 the last three years when it's listed goals. You can throw all of that back at me, and there's not much I can do to swat that stuff away. It's just that be careful what you wish for is what I would say to some people out there. This isn't to you. It's not to one person in particular. I know the loss has been bad. I know the record against Michigan is far less than desirable, but like, Man, think about the lean Michigan years. Uh, Dabo has lost at least two games in each of the last three regular seasons. It wasn't just this year. It's been an ongoing thing. Um, Lincoln Riley, we talked about it. He lost five games this year. Then you've got the Florida schools. You know They have been largely irrelevant for the past decade. Texas, how long were they back until they were really back, right? So... Again, like that's not my total defense. I'm not pushing all my chips in. I'm just saying, like, be damn sure that you know what you're asking for. It's all I'm saying. That's fair, but part the the people that will come back to you will say, well, we're seeing that erosion happen before your eyes. You can argue that the program is eroding. What do you need to? Where the the three places you really need to excel? to be good in college. In my opinion, it's you need playmakers, you need a quarterback, and you need to be able to handle both lines. Ohio State was dominated on both lines for multiple games this year. Their quarterback stunk for multiple games this year. They've got the skill, guys. That's it. And you you, you could make the argument that, that that's where the erosion has happened with Clemson. Their quarterback play has not been as good. Their line play has not been as good. Forever, Clemson was running a receiver and a defensive lineman in the first round every year. Guess what? I know they had Miles Murphy this year and Brian Brees, but they were at the bottom of the uh, draft, and I watch Miles Murphy every week. He stinks. You bite your tongue. He was fantastic against Pittsburgh. Guess what? It was game 11. So he's he wasn't a top five pick. He wasn't a top ten pick. Sammy Watkins isn't coming. Uh, Hop, DeAndre Hopkins isn't coming. Like these guys aren't there. They've lost. Uh, DJU didn't pan out. Uh, so now, and it looks like Klubinik might or might not. But they're in the same position. Their line isn't lines aren't meeting expectations, and all of a sudden they start to slide. Well, what's the fix? Like you and I talked about it beforehand. You can't bring in 10 guys. This line, this offensive line is awful. And if you can't fix it, you're in trouble. And if you think 
Kyle McCord is going to come back next year and put do what Joe Burrow hell do it. 80, we talked about we need him to be 80 or 90% of C.J. Stroud. I think you're throwing money away if you place a bet on Kyle McCord being that guy. So if those are the cases, you're seeing erosion already. If he doesn't fix this quick, like Harbaugh did, part of what Harbaugh did, what, it, what was the biggest thing Harbaugh did was he cleaned out his staff. And he went and got a former Marine to run a, co- you know, an okay. intense well, covert spying operation. But he also he also cleaned out his staff. How many guys did he get rid of on that staff? Almost all of them, right? Don Brown was winning the damn Broyles Award, and he fired his ass. He didn't care. He didn't care that he won the Broyles Award two years earlier. You're not doing what I need to do. You're gone. I need somebody that can handle business today. So – is that a Larry Johnson conversation? Is it whoever? Well, hold, on, hold, on, hold on. So I want to lead you into the next question because I don't want to go forever, but I want to, each of us to sort of have our time here. What are a couple of the main priorities, coaching, roster, or otherwise, you think going into next year? Just give me a couple of the main ones because I know we're going to talk about it for six months. I have... I have changed my attitude on this. Um, and I think it's from reading too many land grant articles. You could make the argument to me that five coaches on this staff need to go. And I would not argue. If you told me Corey Dennis needed to go, I would not argue with you. I would not argue with Justin Fry. I would not argue with Larry Johnson. I wouldn't argue with Parker Fleming. And frankly, I wouldn't argue with Tony Alford. I know he's got two guys in this and we, we joked preseason that he's got two guys in this current class i think they would both still show up there's got to be fundamental change on this staff period i think if you if he doesn't change a minimum of two to three of these coaches i think you're setting yourself up for a monumental um, disappointment next year the other part is if they do not figure out these lines specifically the offensive line if they don't figure out how to make that a top two or three line in the Big Ten, I don't even need the country. I just need it to be a top echelon, upper echelon Big Ten line. You're never going to continue to compete for national championships without it. We talked about it on Sunday. If you ranked one through eight, the contenders, uh, Ohio State's quarterback was eight. If you ranked lines one through eight of the contenders, their offensive line was eight. If you don't fix the line and you don't put some new blood into the staff that actually can um, push these guys, the erosion continues, in my opinion. It's interesting. Um, I, I I think I pretty much agree with all of that. Um, I think when it comes – I think that I am in the minority when I think – when I say that I think there needs to be – I think that Ryan Day needs to take – a long, hard look at the performance of Justin Fry. The offensive line that we saw this year was one of the worst that I can remember. And I get it. Like, he was handed a raw deal by Craig, by Greg Stadrawa, right? Coach Stud uh, hadn't really recruited at a high level. Say what you want about his development. I, I, I don't know, right? But Justin Fry hasn't been here for 15 minutes. He's had a little bit of time to try and address this. And, you know, the play this year just wasn't good. 
And it was fundamental stuff. It was communication. It was cohesion. It was stuff that, like, even if the guys are two-star recruits, they got to be able to be on the same page more often. They got to be able to talk to each other. They got to be able to have that group think, and they didn't at times. Um, what did he do to change it? Like, I, look, I don't care if you don't trust Tegra Shibola. Change it up for a game. See what he's got. They didn't try anything different. And then you want to talk about the offensive line recruiting. How do you fix poor recruiting, bad recruiting, whatever? You get better at it. You bring in better guys. Again, nothing personal. These guys could all turn out to be the next Quentin Nelson, Lane Johnson, whomever. Three of the four recruits that Ohio State's going to bring in this year, they're three-star guys. Three of the four, there's overlap, they're guards. Was was guard the is the interior of your problem the biggest or the interior of your line the biggest problem? No, it's not. Your tackles were turnstiles half the time. Okay, so I I think there's got to be a, a long hard look taken at that position, that position coach, like the whole thing, because you want to talk about eroding. Like, okay, it was maybe eroding towards the end of the Coach Stud regime. Well, it's only really continued to do so. Justin Fry, he didn't bring in Paris Johnson Jr. He didn't bring in Dewan Jones. He worked well with him for a year. But those guys, Dewan Jones was already 6'8", 360. Paris Johnson Jr. came in as a five-star guy. Um I look at Donovan Jackson. Donovan Jackson regressed this year. Maybe that's because he didn't have the same talent next to him, but it wasn't good enough. So I think offensive line needs to be addressed. And then as far as the defensive line goes or just the defense, I think you're going to lose experience at linebacker. I think you're probably going to lose a lot of it. So... I, I want to see C.J. Hicks out there, but C.J. Hicks can't play two or three positions. He can't take up all the snaps. Probably got to find some experience. And the Larry Johnson piece of it is interesting to me because, like, he can clearly recruit. And, like, we've seen the glimpses of J.T. Tuimoloau. Jack Sawyer finished the season really strong, but the sack numbers weren't there. I think the sack numbers weren't there because it's not Jim Knowles' defense. It is Jim Knowles' defense while he's working with Larry Johnson. Okay, I'll I'll go with that because he led the league in or he led the country in sacks when he was at Oklahoma State. His defense is right. designed to get after the quarterback. There is some sort of friction or like they're not on the same page, and so you either get them on the on the same page or it's one or the other. Well, it's it's simple. Larry Johnson wants to run four defensive linemen, and Jim Knowles doesn't. Like the Jack position is a linebacker. It's, it's not even a stand. Like these guys stand up sometimes it's, that's not what the position is. It, his, his defense is a three, three, five with a bigger linebacker. Now it's a bigger linebacker. It wouldn't be uh sunny. Wouldn't be the Jack, but that's, that's what it is. So you're now two seasons into this defense and you don't have your, your coaches on the same wavelength. That's a freaking Ryan day problem. That's his fault. 
if you decided to bring in a guy that wants to run a three, three, five, and you kept a defensive lineman that runs a four down lineman and you didn't tell them to figure it out or you didn't figure it out for them or you didn't fire the defensive line coach, that's your fault. Yeah, 100 percent. The other thing, well, there are two other things. As far as quarterback goes, look, I don't know if Kyle McCord's the answer. I don't know if he takes a giant step next year. I think that we we could never stop arguing about this. I think that there's a higher ceiling for him. If you look at him, like what he had the most passing or the second most yards in the Big Ten, and yeah, what that was weapons. Like we can just go on and on and on. Maybe he's the answer, maybe he's not. But, like, I'm weary of the transfer quarterback because the good one, the great ones, guess what? They're not they're not going elsewhere, right? Unless it's for, you know, Michael Penix Jr. followed his former offensive coordinator. And Michael Penix Jr., like, he took leaps and bounds. Like, he got way, 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 way better at Washington. Weapons, coaching, whole nine yards. Um Bo Nix had started 100 games by the time he got to Oregon. And it was sort of shaky that first year. So, like, when someone's like, oh, hey, go and get quarterback A, quarterback B. Quarterback A and quarterback B are at their schools. They're staying at their schools. Or you're rolling the dice. Um, Like Cam Ward. Cam Ward lit it up at Incarnate World, smaller school. Had some good games at Washington State. Had some games that weren't so good. And we know that the Pac-12 doesn't play defense outside of Oregon State, you know, Utah here and there. Um, Will Howard. I, I get it. He's a tank. He's got some experience from Kansas State. He's about a 60% career passer, like completion rate-wise. So I, I, if you think the answer is out there, be right. Be correct. Um, and then the play calling. I think that Ryan Day's got to give it up. He has spread too thin. He goes into a shell in these big games. Now, he'll still get to overrule his offensive coordinator. He might say, hey, we're not going for it on fourth down, whatever. But you got to find somebody you trust to call plays. I hope that it's Brian Hartline, even though we haven't seen it. Because I think if Brian Hartline goes elsewhere... Like, he's your best recruiting asset. He's bringing in the most per capita, like, skill at his position group. You're giving up a lot if he walks out the door. But whether it's him or somebody else, you got to find somebody who's capable of calling the plays that you eventually want to be called. But, man, you know, Chuck, I we could go on and on and on. I really think that we could, especially about some of these offseason changes, but like I said earlier, we're going to have time to do that. We're, we've been on for about an hour, so we want to get this episode edited, write the article, blah, 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 blah. I know we got stuff to do. So let's just put a pin in it. Um, I, I'm looking forward. I, mean, I actually am to the next couple of episodes because I think we can talk more about the staff, the performance, the season that was and technically still is. But for now, we're going to get out of here. Um Honestly, we may or may not be back with you guys on Sunday. We will try and come up with a better schedule or let you guys know. I just don't have the answer right now. But we'll either be back Sunday or next Wednesday. 
We know you're going to miss us regardless. So until then, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Hit us up on social. Send us the emails. Interact with us on X, Twitter, whatever. Send us questions. That's something we might get into during the off season. But uh, yeah, until the next time, guys, for Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. You know how we sign this thing off. Go Bucks.